Welcome back to another episode of the Black Menace Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Weir, and I'm here with my other host. Nate Bird, happy to be on the show as always. Yes. Um, today we have a treat for all of you. I'm so excited for our guest, um, the wonderful Representative Sandra Holland. Go ahead and say hey to everybody. Hello. Yes. Yes, I'm happy to be here. Yes. This is going to be a really good episode, guys. We're excited to um, just start getting in and asking questions, especially kind of what we talked about last week, what's been going on in legislative session so far. Um, so we're really excited to talk with uh, Representative Holland. Um, but we'll start with just you introducing yourself, you know, give a little background on who you are, and then we'll go into our questions. Okay. So I am Utah State Representative Sandra Hollins. Mm -hmm. I was elected in 2014. I was sworn in in 2015, and I represent District 21, which is the northwest side of Salt Lake City. Um, and so I've proudly served that district for, this is my ninth session. That's not, Wow, that's a minute. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's a long time. Um, and so um, before that, I... Um, I am a licensed clinical social worker and have done that for a number of years with my primary focus being on those in poverty and the homeless population. Mm -hmm. So um, I've worked as everything from a case manager to a director of homeless outreach services. You know, I've walked along the rivers and provided services. I've done therapy. Um, I've been a strategist. So I've kind of done it all in the work of um, in the world of um, social work. I'm um, working with this population. Um, I'm originally from New Orleans. Originally from New Orleans, but been here for a little over 30 years, been in, um, a resident of Salt Lake City. Yes. Yes. Amazing. Okay. My first question is what brought you to Utah? You know, anytime we have, you know, black people, people of color, <laughs> we're like, how'd you get here? You know, because a lot of us didn't start here and uh, no. people ask me the same thing. So I'm going to start there um, to start us on, on your journey. So I ended up in Salt Lake City um, because of my husband's job. Mm. He actually works for the Forest Service. He works in IT for the Forest Service. And um, we met at college in Mississippi. I started out in the H at an HBCU, did mm. two years there. Mm. Um, um, some of the best times of my life. And so when he graduated, they offered him a position here in Utah, the Forest Service. And so that's how we ended up here in, in the state of Utah. Wow. What year was that? That was 1989, 90. Okay. Wow. I think it was. Wow. You yeah. said you did IT for the forestry service? Yeah, he works in um, IT okay. for and the forestry. Is that what he did when he uh, when he first got the job? Yes, that's okay. what he's been doing since then. His major is, um, it was computer science back then. Okay. And that's what his major was. And so he came out here and he do computer science. He manages their servers. Um, but he also do um, wildland fires in the summertime. Mm. And so um, that's that's what he do. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. That's amazing. So what was it like then for you? Because going from like Mississippi, obviously very black, and then going to HBCU, <laughs> again, very black. When you found out that you were moving to Utah, yeah. <laughs> what were your thoughts? How, what was yeah. that like? You know, and now I'm originally from New Orleans now. Okay. Went okay. to college in Mississippi and then moved to Utah. You know, it's so funny because when I first um, told my father that I was moving to Utah, um, that I was, we was going, to, we wanted to get married and move to Utah. My dad was like, "You don't even know where Utah is on the map. <laughs> <laughs> How are you going to move to a place that you don't know where it yeah, is?" That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, back then when we first moved here, um, it was 
you know, it, it, it was it was hard. And we were just so happy to see anybody black on the street. Right. I mean, you, it was a whole production. We would be riding down the street and we would ride past and someone black would be at the bus stop and we were out the window. Hey, <laughs> how are you doing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and it was hard to find black hair care products back then mm. because, you know, we didn't have the, Am we didn't have Amazon. Mm -hmm. Right. And so um, when I needed hair care products, I would have to have my, one of my sisters go buy it and ship it to me. Oh <laughs> and that's God. how I was able to get hair care products. And so it, it was a lot different than it is now. You know, Salt Lake City has, and Utah has grown somewhat <laughs> um, since I first moved out here. I, I think it's, I mean, I feel like it's grown since I've moved out here in 2017. Yeah. And so, oh, same yeah. for me. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, I can only um, imagine what it's felt like for you. Yeah. Um, and so kind of just, you know, following up on that, how has that been like in your time in the 30 years you've been here, how has it been to see the Black community grow in the ways it has? You know, it, it's been absolutely phenomenal. It's to see how they've grown, to see the Black businesses mm -hmm. that's here, to see the Black professional community mm -hmm. that is now here and, and see how it's growing. And so um, for me, it's, it's exciting. It's, it's exciting. Um, you know, I, I welcome, I tell people all of, the, all of the time, you know, Utah is not without these warts. <laughs> but I tell people, if you want to come here and you just, you want to work, um, start looking at your career. I think Utah is the place to, to come to. Hmm. Yeah. And it's, that makes sense. Yeah, and it's growing in a lot of ways for the Black community specifically. And, I mean, it's a big place for, you know, tech and startups. Yes. And so it's a... I think they're like number one for like startups um, right now or something. So, yeah. 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 And so it's a good place to come for new opportunities if, you know, Absolutely. that's a space that you're you're into. Um, and so kind of pivoting into, you know, you are a licensed clinical social worker. I'm curious in what kind of led you to eventually getting into politics. Was it something that you you know, thought about? Because those can be parallel careers. I think those mm -hmm. are things that work together. And obviously, working. Um, I took a class on social work. So it's a, a lot of people who are supporting issues around mm -hmm. politics and wanting to be aware. And so I'm curious if you kind of like, did you think about like, I'm going to make this change. I want to go into this. I want to represent my district. Or was it kind of something, an opportunity that you stumbled upon? Because um, mm -hmm. everyone's journey is so different getting into politics. And so I'm curious it how is. that led from a, you know, more clinical background to something like this. You know, I had absolutely no interest in getting into politics. Mm. Absolutely none, none. But I was always interested in my community and active in my community um, because I believe if you live in a community, you should give back in some type of way. You shouldn't just live there, that you should look at how you can give back to, to the space in which you're living. And so I was always active. And um, the person, um, Representative Selig, who was in this position, um, I knew her because I was always calling her mm. <laughs> about something that was happening in the community and questioning her. So she called me one day and she said, have you ever considered politics? She said, I've been watching you. I've been watching how the community react to you. Have you ever been thought about getting into politics? And my initial response was to laugh in her face and say, you're <laughs> out of your mind. I am not going into politics. And I gave her all of these excuses. You know, I said, I have my, I'm working, I'm in school working on my master's degree. You know, I have my daughters at home. They're both in high school. And that's my primary focus is, is mm -hmm. doing that. 
And so she said, okay. And she kind of left me alone. And then I got this phone call one day and she said, um, I retired today. She said, your daughter's away at college. You finish your master's degree. Would you consider going into politics? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I thought about it. And what I did was I called after I talked to David, my husband, about it. I called some of my closest friend girls mm -hmm. to the table because I knew if I was going into politics, that not only was my life going to shift, but theirs was going to shift also. Um, and so I called them. We had dinner that night and I gave them the scenario and told them what was mm -hmm. going on. And they was like, OK, let's take a vote. Is Sandra uh, going into politics or not? <laughs> <laughs> and they all was like, yeah, we think this is something you should do. Hmm. But when I started thinking about the impact that I can have, it was a definite yes. Yeah. Because what I know about the homeless population, those in poverty, I know because I've actually been on the streets working with them, mm -hmm. not because I didn't read something in the book. Okay. And I just thought about how I can give um, stories to the data. Mm. When they're in, no, when they're talking about the homeless population or those in poverty, mm. and so when I started thinking about I can make this big impact, um, I thought, okay, I can do this. And besides that, I knew that there was a glass ceiling mm. there. They have never had a black woman up there. Yep. And if I was the one, uh, if they thought that I was the one that could break that black ceiling, I was more than willing to take that chance. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Say, you know, first black woman representative in the state of Utah. Sorry, we did not overemphasize <laughs> that, but we need to say it um, on here again, because that is um, just amazing. It's it's crazy to think about that, that you know, it was uh, what year did you say? 2015 is when you were officially sworn yeah, in. Yeah. But it took that for that to happen. But um, I'm glad that it was you if it was going to be someone. Nate, yeah. you going to say something? I was going to ask, what was the process like of of running for office? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, what did it feel like when you first got elected? Wow, the process of running for office, you know, we have the convention center here, um, um, convention system here. And so I had to go through a convention. Um, Wait, quick question. I don't think I know what that is. Mm -hmm. um, what's the convention system? Sorry, if you could just so, plug that, that in real quick. <laughs> yes, yes. So during that time, um, what you had to do is each district has a number of delegates. Every every district has precincts and each precinct has a number of delegates. And so what we do is we go into a convention. And so when we go in a convention, it's up to the delegates to choose who is going to be on the ballot. Mm. And so I was on the I was there running for this position and there were two other people running for this position. And so all three of us um, um, had to make our pitch as to why we felt we were the better candidate to be on the on the um, ballot. Mm. And so I, I won. I yeah. won. I no, can't I remember the number, mm -hmm. but I think it was maybe close to 60 percent. I got hey, close to 60 percent yeah. of the votes. Mm. Um, so they chose me to be on the ballot. And so um, it, it was, um, you know, when I when I won, it was exciting. It was an exciting experience, but I must say this, it became a scary experience mm. because um, after I got on the ballot and knew I was going to be on the ballot, um, someone set my, my husband and I came home from um, dinner early um, and someone set our truck on fire. Oh my gosh. Wait, I did not know this. And this was in 2014? This was in 2014. In 2014. 2014. And someone, we came home early and someone set our truck on fire. Um, we pulled up in the driveway and noticed there was this glow in the truck. And so when we opened the door, it was just like, whew, 
Wow. And so we were told we thought it was kids. They thought it was just kids fooling around. But um, kids we had... fooling around, setting a fire to inside a truck is <clears throat> yeah mm-hmm. diabolical. Like that's psychopath behavior, respectfully. Right. Like yes, what? Yes. Well, the thing is, we had money in the ashtray, and there was a um, there was a, like a. Uh, like the roll that goes on the toilet tissue uh, that was stuffed with paper that was in the truck. And so it, I, I felt it was done on purpose and yes. someone was trying to send me a, a clear message. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, and I have to tell you, I thought about backing down. I'm sure. I mm. honestly thought about pulling out because it's, it scared me. Yeah. But my daughters were away at college and I can't say if my daughters were there Mm-hmm. That I would not have. But I tell you, I have an, an auntie who has passed since then. She passed about three or four years ago. Uh, my Aunt Lee from Mississippi, she found out what happened and she called me. And when she called me, she told me about the history of our family. She proceeded to tell me about her march in the civil rights movement mm-hmm. and her and my uncle and how many times they've been to jail and all of the marches they did. And she told me, you know, I um, stood on the house steps I stood on the steps at the Mississippi Capitol face to face with a white supremacist and I would not back down and told me you sh- you will not back down. Mm. She said, you're going to do this. You will not back down. She said, I don't care what happens. You keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. And that's what inspired me to say, OK, I'm going to do this. I'm not backing down. Yeah, I love that, that you're able to call your family to get that, you know, personal story and strength. And I feel like that's the. Like there are so many black people, I feel like have family like that, right? Who are mm-hmm. like, I did something like this. And so, you know, it encourages us to continue our fight in whatever Absolutely. capacity that is. And so I love that you, yeah, you well, had somebody who could share that with you. Well, you know, and my aunt told me, she said, look, she said, it's not by chance you're in this position. She said, you come from a strong family that has always been been on the front line fighting for social change. Mm-hmm. She said, so this is a part of your DNA and who you are. She mm-hmm. said, so <laughs> so you've got to keep pushing forward. A hundred percent. And so after that, you know, you then were, you went through the, where you were voted in, right? Where mm-hmm. you were on the ballot and then you won. And so I'm curious, what was it like that once you found out that you, you know, you were going into office and going into that first legislative session, you know, in your first time after being sworn in, how was that for you? Um, And and what was that first year like, you know, being up at the Capitol as a Black woman Mm -hmm. and, you know, seeing people's reaction to you being in the room, right? And like being a new voice that is representing a community, not through your experience, but just through your presence. You know, going up there, I would be lying if I said it wasn't scary. It was very scary. I was totally new to politics. Mm-hmm. Um, and so going up there, um, being among, you know, uh, these elite people mm. <laughs> um, who were now sitting and I'm now sitting at the table with them making decisions um, about the future of our state. You know, it's 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 very scary, but I'm, I'm, I was just it's a position that I don't take lightly. And I always look at what is going to be the impact on the community and those people I serve. Um, so, yeah, it, it was very scary. But I, I can say the majority of the people welcomed, welcomed me with open arms up there. Mm. Um, and so those were the people that I kind of um, put in my circle. Mm. And, and those are the people were my go to people. 
And so it, it was it was a lot. It was a lot. And it was a lot to learn. Um, and so but it was good. It was mm-hmm. good. Enough to make you want to go back and do it again. So <laughs> <laughs> make me go make me go back um, eight different times. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so what were some things that maybe you expected, you know, since you, you came into it not familiar with politics, what were some things that you expected that maybe didn't happen the way that you thought they were, uh, that they were going to happen? And then what were some things that, you know, maybe you weren't ready for or some things that you did expect and did, were, you know, were able to make happen? You know, um, I can't say that anything happened that I didn't expect. I could say um, the biggest thing that may have caught me off guard, and I don't know why it did, and maybe part, part of this was the me going in, being naive, going into this to begin with, but how people can just be downright nasty mm. when it comes down to politics. And it's not about policy and it's not about having conversation to try to understand or be understood. It's about, it's my way. It's you're wrong. I'm right. It's my way. Mm. And, and mm. that's it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the thing that caught me off guard and still catching me off guard to this day. But I have learned um, how to, I have learned how to deal with it now. Mm. And I have learned not to take anything personal because you can't go into politics with thin skin. You've got to have very thick skin (laughs) when you go into politics. And so I have learned, you don't take it personally. Someone told me, this one legislator told me, said, um, no permanent enemy or no permanent friends. It's all politics. Mm. The person that is trying to shut your, your bill down on Monday, on Tuesday, could be your biggest champion for your next bill. Mm. And so you cannot take anything personally up there. Wow. I might not make it because um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wait, are you my friend or my enemy? I don't know who you are. Uh, um, And I'm curious within you know, your first couple of years up there, were you able to, you know, pass any bills or was your first process like bringing a bill forward? Mm-hmm. I feel like I'd be so scared. I'm like, they're scrutinizing everything I wrote in here or like <laughs> thought of, um, no, taking it personal. Everyone hates my ideas. You know what I mean? And so what was that like the, the first time you got to do that and, and be a part of that process? You know, it when I passed my first bill, it was it was um it, it was a good feeling. Yeah. And I think my first bill was my um student resource officer bill. Okay. In which I um looked at um training for um SROs in the school system, making sure that they had the cultural training to be able to work with kids from different backgrounds and mm. different cultures. Mm. And so that was one of my biggest bills that I passed. And I think that's the same year I passed. It's like all the bills run together now. <laughs> I don't know what's what, but I think that was I think that was my first bill that I passed. I can't remember if I passed my um, other bill, um, looking at um, people with criminal um, who are formerly incarcerated, hmm. um, because I've done work around that also. And I think that was the first year also making sure that they are able to when they apply for a position, the bander box bill, said when they apply for a position, they're saying for a state job, saying that you don't ask them um, about their criminal background, you wait until they get into the interview so they are able to explain themselves and how they have um, been able to rehabilitate themselves. I love that. I remember that bill because Mm -hmm. I don't know if I signed a petition for it or if it was on the ballot, something Mm -hmm. like that, but I do remember Mm -hmm. voting in the affirmative for banning the box. Yeah. (laughs) 
And uh, oh, you know, we talked to someone last year. We interviewed, uh, you know, who I'm talking about. I, I, forget, I don't recall no. his name, but we interviewed him, and he talked about Band the Box as well. Yeah, mm. so that's cool. So that's something that you were able to pass here in the state of Utah. Yeah, that was something I was able to pass here in the state of Utah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. yeah. Quick so, question with that. Oh, sorry, Nate. I was oh, just gonna oh. ask, what's the process like of doing that? Yeah, that was just my question. Too. Okay, that's what you're gonna ask. <laughs> See, we're we've been interviewing so much together. We already know. Great minds think no, alike. No, just because like I'm curious, like how that even goes about. Just, you know, I feel like I only like read a bill and I'm like, who wrote this? How they get it? Like, how is it this long? Like, what is that process like kind of having an idea and do you have to band together with other representatives? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like a senator, mm -hmm. like what does that look like yeah. um, for someone, you know, who like me, who has no idea how that's created or, or how it's brought to even the floor to be voted on? Yeah. So that's a great question. So. So you, most of the time we get our ideas from our constituents. Mm. So like the Band the Box bill, I actually had a constituent who came to me and he said, look, he said, I was incarcerated. I'm trying to find a job. He said, I don't want to live off the system. He said, I want to take care of my family, but I have people who are not willing to give me a chance. Mm. And so that's when I saw this piece of legislation and thought, okay, this can help somebody like him. So what it is, it starts with an idea, from usually from a constituent. Take that idea. We take it um, to the Capitol, to our drafting attorney. We have drafting attorneys and researchers up there at the Capitol. Mm -hmm. And so we take it to them. They look at um, possible legislation, maybe in other states. They mm -hmm. look at um, they look at what we're trying to do, take our um, ideas down, and then they draft the bill. Mm -hmm. And at that point... Um, what I do is um, anyone who may have a stake in the bill, I bring them to the table mm. and say, let's have a conversation about this bill because um, I like to bring them to the table up front instead of at the end when it's getting ready on the floor and all of a sudden you have all these folks out there who are against your bill. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so we draft the bill, we release the bill, and then it goes to committee. Mm. And so I'm in the House, and so it goes to House committee. Um, that's when the public has an opportunity to come up to the Capitol and they talk about the bill. They get the public's opinion about the bill. Then mm -hmm. they vote on the bill. If the bill passes out, then it goes to the House floor for debate. So that's why I get to debate it on the House floor. Mm -hmm. And we, um, after it passes there, then it goes over to the Senate. And so then I get a Senate sponsor for the bill. Mm. Then it's the process all over again. It goes to the Senate committee. People have an opportunity to come and get give opinion again. The Senate take a vote, then it go to the Senate floor for debate. After it after it goes to the Senate floor, then if it passes, it goes to the governor's office for um for signature. Wow. If they amend the bill over in the Senate in any way, then it comes back to the House floor and oh, wow. I have to sit, pretty much say I concur or I agree with the amendment or no, I don't agree with the amendment. Mm. Um, and so that's that's the whole process. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it's wow. a whole process. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's good though. There's a lot of checks there, hopefully. I mean, yes, yes. hopefully, big hope, you know, but we know how it is with the people who end up in office. And, you know, the way you're saying it, especially I really paid attention to this legislative session and seeing how, you know, people don't realize how important their representative is. Yes. And, and the fact that, you know, that's how these most of these bills start is with, you know, in the House and you guys have a committee vote and then it's boom and then the Senate votes on it. And now the governor is signing that bill into practice and you wouldn't realize um, how a law can impact you positively or negatively yes. in your state. Yeah. Um, which is why so many people need to be civically engaged and just educated on how local government truly impacts everything going on in their yeah. everyday. Yes. Yes. 
Which is interesting. And so, you know, we've obviously there's been a few different bills that uh, that are in various stages of that process. Um, what has it been like, you know, working with people and trying to oppose uh, bills like HB one one eleven, HB two fifty seven, HB is it two sixty one? Is it the right one? Is that the the bathroom the one? The the two sixty one, if I'm saying it right, is the the DEI one banning DEI and I think in that was two. Schools. I came up with that's two sixty one or two fifty seven. Fifty seven. That's two fifty seven. Two fifty seven. The bathrooms. No, two fifty seven no. is the D the anti DEI one. I think the other one you're talking about is okay. About, right? Am I yeah. right, Andrew? I I can't remember which okay. number is which, but it is. We have the DEI bill. We have the the bathroom bill. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. So what has it been like, um, you know, kind of in that process? What steps would you take to oppose something like that? So what I usually do is um, I usually collect the information and stories from my constituents. Mm. I always encourage my constituents to reach out to me and tell me, and because I want to hear their stories because mm. this is... I apologize to interrupt you, but what is a constituent? Oh, yes. These are the these are the people I represent. These mm. are the people in my um, community that live in District 21. Mm. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Um, but... But I have a lot of people who don't even live in my district who tell me that I'm their, their representative. Okay, yes. <laughs> I know the whole black community right. that you represent us no matter where we live. In the whole state of Utah. I, yes, that is true. <laughs> um, and so um, I, I love to talk to my constituents, have them email me, and they talk about how this is going to impact them. And so... Um, when the bill comes to the House floor is when we have a chance to, to speak on it. And when I stand up, I usually try to tell the stories of my constituents and tell them why my constituents are a no vote on this bill mm. and how it's going to impact them um, uh, and, and what's going to be the long term impact that, it, that it's going to have on them. So that's usually how I oppose it. Um, but we also as a caucus, because we are the minority caucus up there, there's, there's 14 Democrats out of 75. Mm in the house. And so um, we try to use other tools like, you know, media, um, press conference, media, social media Mm. to talk about what is happening, but mostly so we can get people out Mm. because we talk about how important it is for them to come out and be in those committee meetings and making sure that they, um, that their voice is heard also. Mm. Question. um, No, just the recent bills that have been passed, there was a lot of social media rallying and, and support mm-hmm. at the Capitol for um, the bills that were, that were, I mean, in the process or have been passed. Um, and I know there was last year too, because there was an attempt for a similar bill last year. And so what are those days like for you? I'm always curious because I bet you don't get as much traction for other random bills, you know, maybe it's about like, I don't know, a street light or something. And, <laughs> um, and so what is it like seeing so many people show up um, in favor or against a bill that's being passed. Cause I'm curious what that's like for you guys and the energy that's in the room. And mm-hmm. um, does it feel like high pressure? Like I- I'm just really curious cause you're in there every day with the normal uh, ebbs and flows of what the, the session's like. You know, I, I love it when people come up to the Capitol, you know, and they are voicing their concern, whether they are for or against the bill. Yeah. I think it's, it's part of the process. And so when people come up to the to the Capitol and they're rallying, I'm all for whether mm. I'm I'm in favor of what they're rallying for or against it. Yeah, I, I see it as part of the process. Um, and when they're sitting in those committee meetings, 
Um, for us as legislators, uh, well, I could just speak for me. <laughs> for me as a legislator, um, the hardest part being there is when I see bills that are going to pass That's and I know the impact that it's going to have. Mm -hmm. I know the impact that it's going to have on the people I serve. Mm. And so it's it's very hard and it, and it takes a lot of energy um, to keep moving forward sometimes. Yeah. Um, I was telling um, I was telling some one of the other legislators today. Um, well, it was yesterday. He was asking me, "What did you do this weekend?" And I said, "Oh, I had a pity party, mm. and there was a lot of junk food there, and it involved <laughs> movies. <Yeah. laughs> Watching it involved Netflix all weekend." Mm. And I said, "I I allow myself to go to that space." Yeah. Um, but then I got up Sunday morning because I'm like, okay, the pity party is over. It's time to get back to work. Mm -hmm. I got up Sunday morning, um, got up, went to church, <laughs> um, and, and was ready to go, um, come bright and early Monday morning to get back on the battlefield and finish fighting. Mm -hmm. Cool. Love that. Love that. <laughs> and yeah, that's something that's important. I think politics takes a lot of resilience, it does. a lot of a lot of being able to just work with different people, forgive mm -hmm. different people, like you said, having a thick skin. Yes. That's, that's so important in that, you know, and being able to go back and fight for what you believe in every week. Mm -hmm. um, it seems like a lot of people, especially after having been in it, you know, for as many sessions as you have, I think a lot of people tend to give up and they mm -hmm. just start kind of, you know, whatever people ask them to do or pay them to do, they'll just do that. So it's, it's admirable that you continue to fight for what you believe in and get up on Sunday morning, go to church and then go back to work on Monday. Love that one. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I always remind people, you know, because it, this is a hard fight. Mm -hmm. It's a hard fight when you're trying to do what's right for the community and mm -hmm. you're trying to protect marginalized community. But I remind people the civil rights movement wasn't just a week or a year. Mm. <laughs> it, it, it was years and years and years before they made steps forward. And sometimes they made three or four steps forward and they had to take a two or three steps back. And so that's just kind of the, unfortunately, that that's how it is. But that don't mean you get off the battlefield. That means you keep you keep fighting, you keep moving forward. Um, you know, I, I had this um, conversation with my intern earlier because he asked me, he said, why, how do you keep going? Mm -hmm. How do you keep moving forward with all of this that's going on? I said, oh, the best way I can explain it for me is like I just have this passion in me. And I don't know where it comes from or mm -hmm. why it's there, but it's like, if I, I've got to speak out upon this. And there's a lot of times I speak out on a certain issue on the house floor and I have zero intention of saying anything. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I got to speak on this. Yeah. If I don't say, I've got to say something, this is wrong. I've got to say something. And then I'll say something and I just feel so much better after I yeah. say it. But it's, it's sort of like, it's okay, your I soul. don't. It's like your it, soul is shaking. Like you yeah. got to speak up. If I don't say anything, I'm going to explode. Mm -hmm. I've got to say something. And so that's kind of what keeps me, keeps me moving forward. Mm -hmm. um, kind of in in those experiences when you've had to, you know, speak out and say how you feel, I'm curious, has there ever been anything said that just like shocked you? Because I know you said that people are like, it's my way, you're right, you're wrong. But I'm curious, like, if you've had any experiences where people are, you know, sharing about bills or trying to pass bills that you're, you were just genuinely like floored or just like could not believe that people would even think to to speak those kind of things. I'm just curious because, um, you know, we, we see those things on social media comments and whatnot, but there could also be people who represent different communities who are over in office who might, you know, 
think not the best of, of certain communities or, or false information and whatnot. And so I'm curious what that has been like in a place like Utah. You know, I think since I've been up there, the most shocking thing that has happened was um, a couple of years ago, there was someone who was in our caucus room who was talking about polygamy and, and slavery. And she was comparing polygamy to slavery. And she Ooh. had a little piece of paper and wrote slave on it and handed it to me. The only black person in the entire room. She handed me this paper, calling me a slave. Yeah. <laughs> If y'all can see my face, those who are not listening, if you're not watching the video, I'm literally like, Slack job. what? What? Yeah, that, that was the most shocking thing um, that happened. But I didn't react. I did not react. I politely got my bag, got up and walked out the room mm. because I knew that this was going to be a pivotal moment. And mm. I knew that if I reacted, yeah. then I became the story. Yeah. Mm. If I got angry, trust me, I was mad, Oh yeah. but sure. I walked out of the room, um, went to the house floor and some of my colleagues followed me out of the room. Mm. Um, so then after that happened, I um, had a meeting, you know, I called my elders, those in the community mm. who were civil rights activists, those who've been doing this for years. And it must've been about maybe 20 of them showed up, 20, 25 mm. of them showed up. Mm. And we all met and I sat like right here and they were out there and I said, what do I need to do? Mm. And we talked about it and we talked through it. And they said, this is how we are going to respond as a community. Mm. You are going to remain silent. You do not respond to her. You keep quiet. You do a and so I ended up just doing a press release saying, I don't have time for this. I need to focus on my community. Mm. And that was it. Um, and so, but I called them together because I felt at that time I needed their wisdom. Mm. I needed their wisdom and their guidance on how to how to move forward. Mm. That's important. So, you know, kind of moving more into that, that realm, um, what is it like just navigating such a such an interesting space in Utah, you know, being a majority white, majority Christian or LDS, mm -hmm. um, and probably majority male as well. Am I right mm -hmm. in saying that? You know, what is it like navigating that space as a black woman? You know, um, first of all, I have to find my allies. Mm. Mm. I, I have to find my allies. Um, and those are the people I work with. I stay prayed up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to stay prayed up. But, you know, as people who are, as Black people, you know, a lot of times we have to do, you know, we, we know what code switching is. Oh, yes. We know code switching and we know that we have to always be mindful of ourselves and we know we have to always be mindful of our space. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, that happens up there. That happens up there. I have to always be mindful of where I am and what I'm saying and how I'm saying it. Um, and so it can be it, it's it can be tiresome. Mm. It can be very tiresome and it can be be very draining. Um, um, but I, I keep moving forward because I keep thinking about the impact. Okay, the impact, and and hopefully um, one day having someone else up there because <laughs> that's always my goal. Um, and maybe while I'm up there trying to continue to open those doors and make the path a little smoother for the next person 
that comes up there. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm curious just in being, you know, you talked about being in the minority that there are 14 um, Democrats and out of 75 total, right? Yes. Okay. So what has that been like? You know, I'm assuming there might be a lot of bills that you oppose that are, um, you know, being passed and, mm-hmm. and being brought to the floor. And so what is that like um, kind of going against something that majority of the people are in support of? Like, mm-hmm. um, how has that felt for you? How like what's that process like? How do you gather with the other people who, who are in support of you or how do you get the other side to see where you're coming from in your constituents? You know, a lot of times the, the bills I pass is because I work on them before they come to the House floor. And I could mm. say that as most legislators mm. um, on both sides of the aisle. Okay. They, they do a, we do a lot of working behind the scenes mm. um, on the, uh, I can speak to the House, on the House floor before a bill become, comes up. And so there is, that is the time where there is a lot of negotiating. Mm. Um, that's when your negotiation skills come into play. <laughs> Um, and trying to and figuring out where you're willing to give and where you're not willing to give. Mm. Um, we as um, Democrats, even though we're only 14 up there, we do manage to get things done. Mm. We manage to get things um, done up at the Capitol, but it takes a lot of work, but um, we, we get things done. Love that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did, I don't know if you want to ask anything, but. Oh, no, nothing to mind. Okay. Yeah. I'm curious. Um, I know that you were involved in, in the Izzy bill being passed. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I know that that was very special and mm-hmm. monumental. And so I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about that, what led to that, and, and kind of what that was like when you were able to pass that. Yeah. So um, Izzy was a um, 10-year-old little girl who died by suicide because of the bullying in her school. Um, she, some of the bullying was done because of mental health, but a lot of it was done because of of racism in her schools, in her school. Um, and so I found out about Izzy, of course, the same way all of us did. We Mm. were, we were all shocked that this, that this is happening, that this has happened. And so I reached out to her mother because out of respect, I wanted to make sure I show her respect and ask, can I come to the funeral? You know, and it's okay if you say no. I, yeah. I, I will respect that choice. And so she told me, I want you there. Mm. And so when I went to the funeral, um, I met with her mom and hugged her. And we just sat there and cried and cried and cried and cried. And I promised her, I said, I promise your child's death will not be in vain. I'm going to do everything in my power yeah. to make sure that this doesn't happen to another little girl, a little boy. Yeah. In our school system. Mm. So that's how the Isabel became came about. Yeah. Um, I started working with actually United Way, okay. who had been um, looking at this also and looking at what was happening in Davis County and what and the fact that the DOJ had to step in. And so um, this was the result of, of that meeting with um, with the United Way and us trying to figure out how do we fix this? How do yeah. we solve this this issue? Yeah. And, and what exactly is is included in the bill? I'm, I'm just curious because I know it was an honor and to help with um, bullying. And so just like, if you could give a little more detail for listeners just to know, because, um, yeah. So with the main part of the bill, number one, it, it, it looks at training. Mm. It looks at training in our school system um, for our teachers around um, a, a cultural awareness. But it also look at uh, um, it also look at um, um, collects data. So until that bill, we were only collecting data 
on the child that was being bullied, not the child that was actually doing the bully. Mm. And so that's what this bill did is allow us to collect data, because if we can collect that data, um, then we know where to target resources. Yeah. Mm. Um, and we know what, what schools that we need to target um, in order to provide um, resources, because, you know, um, if a child is a child is being bullied. They need resources, but also that child that's doing the bullying. Right. We mm-hmm. need to figure out what is happening and what is going on. Yeah. And what that child need in order to to to, to stop to stop the behavior. Hundred percent. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's yeah, that's so important. I think that's not something we talk about very often. I was a a victim of bullying, you know, mm-hmm. as a kid, uh, which is probably pretty normal for a lot of you know a lot mm-hmm. of kids to go through, and it's not a fun feeling, um, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, nobody ever thinks too much about the person doing the bullying. Like, you know, we see the stand up to the bully mm-hmm. and the bully is a bully because they get bullied and um, all of that. But yeah, actually directing resources there, I think, is very insightful because I think that's something that, that goes overlooked. You can kind of, you know, cut out some of those issues yeah. by by providing resources that that child needs as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And especially in Utah, you know, when it comes to racial bullying, a lot of the times it's it's not always the majority, right? It it can be singled out to certain people mm-hmm. that, you know, maybe their parents, well, I don't know what they're teaching them about this. You know <laughs> what I mean? And mm-hmm. and being aware of that for, for the school, you know, to step in. Because that's I think that's a school's role mm-hmm. is to be able to provide not just resources, but education mm-hmm. and awareness. Um, and so being able to be aware if it's anything, you know, from a racial standpoint, like we need to do our role mm-hmm. as the school is saying, hey, this is this is not OK if your parents aren't stepping in and educating you in that way. Yes, yeah. So, you know, a question along with that, we've interviewed a lot of, of you know, natives of Utah or people who have, you know, spent their, their childhoods here um, as Black people. And it seems pretty consistent that, you know, Black children that have grown up here in the state of Utah have experienced some form of racial bullying or mm-hmm. some form of discrimination. Um, it's also, you know, pretty similar among people of color, we mm-hmm. found, you know, that, that grew up in this state. Um, so, you know, does the, the does Izzy's bill do anything um, for those black children, or you know, like what kinds of things are are you working on to to help with with black children or children of color that grow up in the state of Utah? You know, right now, I am I am not sure of the impact of this DEI bill that's mm-hmm. going to yeah. have mm-hmm. and how we're going mm-hmm. to proceed forward. Yeah. Um, moving forward with um, addressing these issues in our schools. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's, that's honest, that's honest talk. That's true. Cause that can unravel a lot of things. So I, yeah. I have been working on some other things. I, I just don't want to say right now. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> I've been coming at it from another perspective on how do we go about making sure that our children are, are protected in the schools. And I think part of that is going to be um, making sure our parents are armed with knowledge, yeah. Mm. Making sure that they are aware um, of what they can do. Making sure that they are aware of what their rights are within the school system. I think that is going to be one of the biggest things that that we're going to need to do. But there are some other things that I'm looking at, kind of behind the scenes, and some other things that I'm working on um, to to address. Um, um, what is happening to our young people in the school because I'm constantly hearing about the racial bullying that is happening Mm -hmm. over and over and over again. And it's it's unacceptable. It is unacceptable. And it's overwhelming, like, um, just because I know a lot of people who have children here, you know, and 
hearing their stories. I mean, I had average bullying, like, oh, I don't like your hair or your pants. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like stuff like that. Again, not saying it's acceptable, but in terms of like, I never felt like I was targeted because of who I was as an individual. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like my skin color or anything. And I'm hearing the experiences that that happened to Black children who grew up here, it makes me fearful. Like, I refuse. You ask anybody, like, I'm like, I'm not raising my kids here because the stories that I hear are are scary. They're scary. Um, there's the stories and the, the things that people say and do to children. I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Like, that that scares me to raise children here because of what I've heard. It, it is scary. You know, I was at church one Sunday, and this little girl came and sat next to me and kind of cuddled up to me, and she said, can I tell you something? I said, of course, sweetie, you can tell me anything. Mm -hmm. She said, I I don't like riding the school bus. Mm. And I was like, why not? She said, because the little boys on the bus tell me that my skin is ugly. Mm. They said, dark skin is ugly and I'm ugly because I got dark skin and I look like a monkey. And I was like, oh, my God. And I said, well, have you told your parents about it? And she said, yeah. And so, of course, I talked to the parents and they were dealing with it. But, you know, she sat there in tears. And I and then I, you know, sitting there building her back up and saying, no, baby, you're beautiful. You know, you're you're absolutely gorgeous and don't listen to what they're saying. And, you know, um, but yeah, but this is this. Unfortunately, this is our kids experience. My daughters or two daughters were raised here Mm. and that has been their experience here. Mm. Um, I remember when my daughter came home one day from from school and told me that uh, that they were jumping rope outside. And um, one of the parents told her that she could not, one of the parents told their daughter they were not allowed to play with my daughter anymore because Black people are dirty. Wow. Mm. And so I told my daughter, hold on, what is what, which, who's, what student is that? Yeah, I right. jumped back in my car, mm. went over to the school, and started walking to the school, and the principal was like, "Miss Hollins, what are you doing here?" And like, <laughs> and talk I, to you. <laughs> yeah, he was, and he was like, "Could you trust that I'm going to take care of this?" He said, "I will take care of this." He said, "I promise I'll take care of this tomorrow, mm. as soon as I see that parent." Mm. And so that's how it was handled. But then psychological damage was already done. Yeah, it was already done. But I have always been the type of parent that I have kept black books in the home, mm. um, black pictures on the wall. I've surrounded myself with, uh, surrounded my girls with um, people um, who who are very well accomplished, so they can see what they can be. Yeah. My mom, my daughter, still jokes to this day to me. She said, "Mom, I don't know how in the state of Utah you found a comforter with black Barbie on it." <laughs> <laughs> but I just always wanted to see, <laughs> yeah, I just always wanted to see them to see themselves in a positive light. Mm. I love that. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, I can speak from personal experience that that is very important. You know, for all their shortfalls, my my parents did uh, put a lot of effort into, um, you know, making sure that I felt seen. You know, mm-hmm. in, in people that was you know uh, that was around me, so they always did their best, even if we lived in places that weren't very diverse to find black people, bring mm-hmm. them into our lives, you know, emulate black, um, black figures in history and, mm-hmm. and in modern history, all those kinds of things. And those things are very important that, you know, you, it helps you to develop a, a strong sense of self from an early age and kind of combat some of that, that you experience outside mm-hmm. of the home. Yeah. Cause there's a lot telling you that you're not good enough. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I love that, you know, that's very important. And I'm, I'm glad you did that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as we get ready to wrap, I'm curious, what has been your favorite part of 
you being, you know, a legislator in the time that you've done it, I'm I'm just curious what you think. What has been my favorite, favorite part? Wow, there's a there's a lot. You know, when I have young people come up to the mm. Capitol, mm. <laughs> that has been my favorite, favorite part. They come up to the Capitol and I get to show them around and mm. and um get to answer their questions. So Aww. that is part of my favorite part. Mm. Um I remember uh, several years ago, a couple of years ago, I had this um, this this um, young girl. She told me she said, and she was um, and she was African, mm. and she said, "Are you the first black woman to ever be elected up here?" And she was a high school student. Mm-hmm. I said, "I am. I am the first. Um, she said, "Well, I guess I'll be the second. Aww. to come up here." And yeah. I told her, "I look forward to, to working with you yeah. when you get here." <laughs> Oh, I love that. And so that that has been my favorite part, just meeting with all of the young people who come who come up there and and um, listen to their ideas and their vision and where they want to go and what they want to do in life. Mm. And so I, I love that. That was been that was one of the hardest part about COVID and being up there, not having anybody mm. up there. I told people I just missed the noise of all the young people just running through the Capitol. Because yeah. <laughs> you know it echoes. And so yeah. they love to yell. Yeah, they do. <laughs> if I didn't think I would look crazy, I would be yelling too. <laughs> but um yeah, that's what that's what I love. That's what I love. Yeah. Okay. Side note, the Capitol is beautiful. It's it gorgeous. Is. It's literally there are many gorgeous. photo shoes there. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. We took Black Minutes picture there. <laughs> it yeah, it's beautiful. Um, it's like on a list of like places if I got married in Utah, it's on the list because okay. it's just so I love the inside of the guy. It's just gorgeous. This is a very much a side note, but um, <laughs> so it's a beautiful place to go to work every day. Yes. Mm-hmm. So let me ask this: what can the the average citizen do? Uh, to support you in your work, you know, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, for those that are from your your district that you represent, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, those that are not, what can we do as ordinary citizens to assist you in your work? Um, be aware, be aware of what is happening at the local level. I know every, a lot of people are focusing on what's happening at the federal level, but. Stay focused on what is happening at the local level. And that includes school board. That includes city, county, and state. Stay focused on what is happening. You know, I know everybody is not meant to run for office, but every, but you can play a, a role in politics. You know, um, maybe it's just coming up to the Capitol, sitting in the committee meetings mm. and observing what's going on and giving your opinion. Maybe it's working on somebody's campaign. Maybe it's joining another organization that believe in the same thing you believe in. Um, and so you want to come, you want to advocate for a change that way. But I say stay involved and stay connected with everything that is that is happening in our surroundings. Stay aware. Stay aware because a lot of these laws are going to, they are impacting you personally and impacting your household. Yeah. Yes. So how do we do that? How do we stay aware? Because it's, you know, it can be kind of difficult to get access to to that information you know, mm-hmm. um, like to or to know what's going on so do you do we go to local meetings or you know what things do we need to do to stay aware how can someone do that if you if you have an interest in a particular subject say for instance the environment I would reach out to an environmental group and stay connected with them but now you can lo- also just log in like the state capital you can log in and look at our agenda. 
Mm. and see what's coming up in the committee meetings. Mm. And now, you know, um, as a result of of the pandemic, one of the good things that happened as a result of the pandemic is um, you can log in and don't even have to leave your home. You can log in, listen and and raise your hand to Mm. speak. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in committee meetings. So if you have an interest in what's happening in the education system, log on and see what bills they're going to be presenting and and log in to that to the education committee and um and just see what's happening, see what decisions that they're making around your your, your kids. That's good advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I so. I feel like I was not civically engaged until I moved here. Mm-hmm. And so I mean, I also give myself grace. I wasn't 18 until I moved to Utah, but um <laughs> I seeing like this experience living here and seeing bills being passed that are impacting people I know directly. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. especially with this upcoming um, DEI bill taking into effect. um, I know lots of people who work in higher education Mm -hmm. schools, K through 12 who work in the inclusion, the DEI space and Mm -hmm. their jobs are going to be impacted. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just seeing that firsthand. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I didn't, like experiencing it like this so up close and personal, I feel like will forever um, impact my view on politics and local elections and how critical they are. Mm-hmm. Um, because we always, we've, I've known that, but seeing it happen so quickly, I think mm-hmm. that's what's really shocking to me is yeah. like, normally you think government moves slow and in certain ways they do, mm-hmm. but seeing how this is being passed, going through, and now like this could happen, you know, by the end of the year, certain whole departments will be gone. Mm-hmm. People's jobs will be, you know, no longer funded. Mm-hmm. Um, has just been like very eye-opening and shocking with how quickly the government can move if they want yes. to. Mm-hmm. Oh yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, that's very true. So um I guess we'll end um here. Actually we'll ask you one more question. If you could give um yourself, I like asking people this, your self-advice on the, you know, after getting sworn in on your first day walking <laughs> capital, you know, you know, more naive version of you, you know, scared version of you. Yeah. What advice would you give yourself as you were about to embark upon, you know, being a representative? And actually, I'll tag team onto that. So okay. in addition to the advice that you would give yourself, what advice would you give to the next representative Hollins here in Utah or the next, um, you know, young person? that wants to get into politics and maybe, you know, take a position like you, what, what, what advice would you give them as well as the advice you give yourself? Out of two for one. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, two for one. <laughs> the, the advice I would give to the next person is it's going to be, it's going to be um, a frightening experience, but do it. Take mm-hmm. the leap. Take the leap. If that is something you're thinking about doing, um, it's worth it. Mm-hmm. It is well worth it. Um, I think the advice I would give myself is, um, allow yourself to have grace. Give yourself grace mm. um, because you're going to make mistakes. You're going to say some things th- that you're going to go back home later and go like, oh my gosh, why did I say that? <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. You're going to make a lot of mistakes, but those mistakes are going to be your um, learning experiences. So allow yourself to make mistakes. You're not perfect. Nobody expects you to be perfect but you. So just just allow yourself that grace. Love that. But that's what a lot of us need in all situations. Is yeah, like, you know, absolutely. Accepting that you're making mistakes. Um, 
I'm in the part of my corporate career where I just feel like I'm learning a lot of lessons every day. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody who works in corporate has experienced this listeners. Um, I feel like I'm like every day it's like, okay, I didn't do that. Okay. <laughs> every day it's like, oh, wow. I'm just like so stressed all the time. But um, and so I'm, I, I feel like I'm, I'm trying to tell myself that, right? Like yeah. have grace because there's a lot of situations where we're all just, you know, doing things for the first time and trying our best, mm-hmm. especially in a case like trying to do good for the community. Mm-hmm. Um, just know that the good is still going to come with those mistakes that we all make. Yes. Um, yes. But I guess we can move into our recommendations. Um, Nate, do you want to go first this week or? You can go first. Ah, I wanted him to go first. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, I'm like, my brain is giving, I don't know, Nate. I need you to go first today. Okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> not not be like, no, you are going to go first. <laughs> well, a couple of things. Uh, so let's see. The first thing, I took your recommendation and watched Elemental. Oh, my gosh. And I loved it. Did it you was, cry? Okay, you I don't did. have to cry. I did. You I did. did? Yeah, you know, I just got like a it little tear. Right, and teary I, at the you end. Know, oh, my gosh. And swallowed it, but I was, yes. yeah, I definitely did. And I loved how they, they captured like the feeling of, different cultures yeah and that even though it was about elements have you watched elemental i have not okay so it's you know it's but you know you know what it is a disney i movie? don't okay, it's, it's, yeah okay it's a disney movie yeah. um where they they kind of tell the story of like elements you got water earth yeah yeah um it's like fire, it, wind you give them the avatar nation and, it, it's, yeah. like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like trees but, it's like yeah. a lot of different yeah okay but you know they're animated to look like people yeah but they all you know each element has its own culture Okay. Um, and it talks about how, you know, the fire element, they're the first ones to come to this big city where all the other elements live and they kind of bring their culture into the city. Mm-hmm. And so basically it kind of tells the story of what it's like to be, a you know, an immigrant and then a child of first generation immigrants um, and, and kind of navigating that. And then she ends up falling in love with a different element and it's all like, oh, you know, we don't mess with the water, you're fire. How do you get along? Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it was a beautiful story. Um, and I, I just enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed, you know, watching the movie and kind of just getting those those good feelings from it. So that was a good recommendation. So I just want to say, we do be taking each other's recommendations on the podcast. Um, Only other thing I can do, I guess I can give a don't recommendation. And that's don't get your wisdom teeth taken out if you don't have to. Oh my gosh, (laughs) Nate. I got my wisdom teeth taken out four days ago. So I'm in here, um, you know, sipping on on, on juice and eating peanut butter and and mashed potatoes mixed together. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Yeah, so that's my recommendation. Don't don't get your wisdom <laughs> teeth taken out. <laughs> I'll be up. That's about it. Okay. Um, my recommendation for the week um, will be to, and this is my recommendation because I've just been thinking about it a lot. So I'm I'm telling myself so I go and do it. Um, go and like get yourself a sweet treat. Um, mm. just because I'm a big uh, I have a huge sweet tooth, and <laughs> I've been think I've been thinking about Krispy Kreme donuts. <laughs> Um, specifically from them, hot, um, like when the hot sign is on. So I really need to like take my time and try to figure out when they're hot and go get them. Um, just because I've been trying to, you know, be good on my diet. But I think I deserve some Krispy Kreme donuts um, as some self-care. As you hear, I'm stressed at work all the time. So I need to get something to, you know, bring me down and and, and as a thank you for making it through every day so go get yourself a sweet treat that that's my recommendation for the week i love that and also it actually brings a recommendation to mind wow okay <laughs> about donuts okay okay because people talk about Krispy cream okay you're but there is right. a donut shop here in in salt lake it has the best donuts i've ever had and i've had you know, i've had I've a been, lot of I've, donuts too nate was that i have a lot of donuts too I, yes but these are the best donuts i've ever had they have cake donuts that melt in your mouth 
cake melting in mouth. Oh, exactly. That's amazing. Right. Because you know me, I'm a yeast and, girl. And don't even get me started <laughs> on the yeast. The yeast, it's like eating a cloud. They're so oh, soft wow. and fluffy. Okay. It's called, and it's, it's a very simple place. It's the most simple place. It's a small little shop called Deli and Donuts. Where is this at? It's on State Street here in Salt Lake City. I know what you're talking. Mm-hmm. And they have amazing donuts. I've exactly. never had a donut from there that I didn't enjoy. <laughs> Every donut. single one. All right. Yeast or cake. And the cake donuts melt in your mouth. It blew hmm. my mind. So, all right, are they the type to sell out, or like, do I got to get there oh, yeah, early? Yeah, you want to you want to get there uh, earlier in the day. Um, the later, because the, they they stop they stop baking at like ten o'clock in the morning. So, oh yeah, that's after that, then they just kind of yeah. right. That's how donut places are in Chicago mm-hmm. too. They like bake and then they just go to the sell out. Yeah, yeah. So, mm-hmm. whenever I crave those, we'll get up on Saturday morning and drive straight over there and get us a box. <laughs> Saturday, you're trying to fight for that. <laughs> I hate. Saturday donuts in Chicago. No, give me a Thursday. I'm See, not going on Saturday. Not a lot of people know about this. They'll have a line coming out, but if you come at the right time, you'll catch the line when it's like only halfway around the building and not all the way around. So, uh, okay. But it's a tiny okay. building. So you're all good. All right. All right. Let me, let me, I'll be okay. I'm going to do it one week. <laughs> Thank we'll you. Make it happen. We'll, we'll get some deli and donuts, but that's yes. mine. Sandra, your recommendation? You know, my recommendation is allow yourself to say no. Ooh. It's okay to say no. And if the person gets mad, that's not a you, that's a that's a them problem, not a you problem. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, it is okay. I once heard someone say that no is the first word we learn as a child and the hardest word to say as an adult. Ooh, <laughs> that is so true. My nephews, they're two and a half. They love no. They love no. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. No, I, I remember my um, niece, she's 17 now, but when she was about three years old, she used to say, I can't want to do that. <laughs> no, I can't want to do that's it. That's such an honest way of saying it. She's like, I cannot muster the enthusiasm to want this right now. <laughs> and so that's that great. has become one of my favorite sayings now. I'm like, no, I can't want to do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's just so hard for us to say, but I just find it sometimes to be so liberating. Like, yeah. no, mm-hmm. no, like, I don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah. Don't have no reason, just don't want to. <laughs> yeah. I love that, love so, that. yes. Yeah, and, and with that, I'm going to add on to that. My one of my coworkers, she um, gave me a recommendation today. You know, people don't need an explanation. They don't. They don't. You don't have to give anybody an explanation. Mm-hmm. It's like you just, you know, if you you do something, you messed up or you don't want to do something or you can't do something. You don't need to tell like, oh, I can't do this because I'm doing D, D, D. No, people don't need to know all that. They, they don't, they don't even know. deserve it most of the time. No. You just say, I can't do that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No. Um, no. And, and saying no. And so it's just taking back what you're kind of alluding to, taking back your power and yes. ownership that um, we need to own that for ourselves. Yes. So, yes. That's it. <laughs> um, that's all we have for this week. Nate, anything you want to say to close out? Nope. Nothing else. I'm I'm chilling. Kay. Go to Deli and Donuts. Okay. <laughs> um, well, we'll catch you guys next week. Peace. Yay.